In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive welcome to episode 351 i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show we've got a double hit of virtual reality first we'll be talking with chris alderson of polyart games who joins us to talk about moss book two which just released for the metaquest platform this week and Felix Lajeunesse of Felix and Paul Studios is here to share the latest from their collaboration with NASA. Yes, the National Air and Space Administration, which would be the fourth and final episode of Space Explorers, the ISS Experience, and the upcoming Artemis Mission livestream event. All that. But first, headlines. Oh yes, they're back. And so is San Diego Comic-Con and all the activations. Perhaps you're even listening to this as you make your way to Netflix's The Gray Man, HBO's House of the Dragon, or, and this is the one that we'd gladly sacrifice our Audi for, Apple's Severance. It looks to be another spectacular collection of activations for the SDCC crowd, and we know of a lot of immersive creators who are working behind the scenes. We're also very appreciative of the fact that SDCC is enforcing a mask mandate this year to help combat the spread of COVID. I've known too many people who've gotten COVID at events where that isn't happening, and it can be serious. So I thank each and every one of you for doing your part to keep all of our community safe so that we can keep making more events. We also love to hear your SDCC stories. So at us on Twitter with what you find. It's Union Summer in America, and we've got two to talk about in breaking news today. First up, the latest video game union to form is the Tender Claws Human Union, which has been formally recognized by the heads of the game studio behind the Virtual Virtual Reality series and The Under Presents, which many of you know has utilized live actors from the immersive scene. Going forward, the employees will be represented by the Communication Workers of America. In a statement, the studio said it was thrilled to recognize and work with the union, unquote. And in the physical immersive realm, the Meow Wolf Workers Collective and Meow Wolf have reached an agreement to conduct a card check for the workers at Meow Wolf Denver, a key step in the formation of a union at the Convergence Station outpost of the immersive entertainment company. The Workers Collective, also part of the CWA, has already successfully organized and ratified a contract at the Santa Fe home base, including a guaranteed $60,000 a year salary for Meow Wolf artists. Finally this week, the metaverse, not just the idea, but the book, The Metaverse and How It Will Revolutionize Everything by Matthew Ball, had its release this week and has been the big buzz in the tech sector. Ball is the former global head of strategy for Amazon Studios, and the book is quickly becoming a must read across the tech sector as a whole. 
book club anyone no no seriously if you want to do the book club i'm reading it right now so just like hit me up on the discord speaking of virtual worlds and the discord it's not too late to sign up for our walkabout mini golf vr mini tour which starts on july 28th with the arrival of a course inspired by jim henson's labyrinth check the show notes for how to sign up signups close on monday assignments go out on wednesday uh, and we're gonna have a lot of fun Then a quick update on The Dig. I should have done like a speaking of fun segue. Uh, The Denver Immersive Gathering that is coming up this November will have more programming and networking event details to share next month before the ticket price goes up in mid-August. But the VIP tickets are already down to just 50 left. And at the intro price of $250, you might want to grab those while you still can. Links in the show notes. Uh, quick sidebar. I said finally earlier. I just keep going. Uh, <laughs> I'll say finally again in a second. If me blathering on about Star Wars is your jam, and, and who doesn't love it when I do that? Uh, I'm on the latest episode of Mike Celestino's Who's the Bosk podcast, which just has the best name, uh, talking about my second favorite Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, and about Star Wars in general. Link in the show notes. Finally, just to remember that all we do is powered by you, the listeners and readers of No Persinium. When you share the work you value, our reach increases, and so too does the good news about our immersive future. And all of our financial support comes from those who visit patreon.com slash no proscenium and elect to become a backer. We're looking for 45 new backers at the $5 or more level to get us on back, back on track for 2023. Gotta be doing that right now. This month, we have a new sustaining backer, Samantha Davison. Samantha joins our ongoing sustaining backers, Ari Hurston, Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for keeping us going. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. I wish it was otherwise, but it's not. We need your support. And now, without any further ado, let's get to our interviews. In 2019, VR enthusiasts were surprised and delighted by the arrival of Moss, a unique twist on platform puzzler games that cast you as the reader, an otherworldly figure who helps a young mouse named Quill on her journey to save her uncle and restore balance to the fantastical world in which she lives. Now, four years later, the next part of Quill's story begins, picking up pretty much right where we left off. Joining us today is Chris Alderson of Polyarch, the studio behind Moss Book 2, which launched on PSVR this March and just launched on the MetaQuest 2. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Noah. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm, ex- I'm excited about this because um, what you guys have made is really something special. So, uh, But before I just get into you know, nerding out on you. Uh, what can folks, what can folks who are returning to the world of Moss or, or maybe even who are new to the world of Moss expect? Yeah. So the, the game, as you mentioned earlier, picks up right after the events of the first game. And I think as, as someone who's played the first game, you'll, you'll, you should be able to pick it right back up. 
Um, but we also wanted to make sure that if, if a newcomer were to, for some reason, miss the first game, they'll be able to also pick it up fairly quickly. And um, I think the first, I would say the first third of the game is very, very familiar and similar to the first one, but then we start switching it up. So I, I think both fan, like new fans and old fans alike will be really surprised at, at all the, the twists and turns that happen in the story and all the gameplay uh, variation that we've, that we've included. And so I, I really think it's a game for both, both parties. When you started, because I think so much of what you're doing here in in this is is an iteration, at least at first, uh, of the first game. And the first game, what you've built is such a strong uh, kind of offer into a vision of like, this is what, you know, this type of game in VR could be. And and I'm wondering, way back when you were starting on this series, uh, what did you know that you wanted to do in VR that you just couldn't do in a traditional video game? I mean, or, or is this a chicken and the egg situation? Uh, did, did you find yourself in VR because you wanted to break out of the mold or did you, did you find yourself in VR and being like, how can we use this in a way that no one else has? Yeah, I, I believe it's, it's more the latter. Um, we, we did see a lot of early examples of what other folks were, were trying to accomplish. And there was a lot of, massive scale, like big wow moments. Everyone was trying to take you on a roller coaster. And there was a lesser known magic that, that we also saw, but but they were very these experiences were very few and far between, where you could take these small worlds and the awe that you got, I I for me personally was just as magical as like seeing this massive dragon land on a, a mountaintop was these little communities and you could like reach in and interact with them. And, and while a lot of these early demos were pretty simple, um, the magic was undeniable. And so that was sort of the very first thought for us was, okay, let's, let's do something that, that, you know, not a lot of other folks are doing. And then also um, we, we kind of saw the early limitations of, of VR um, we, you know, I, I was playing a couple experiences where that made me a little uncomfortable. Um, and so comfort was definitely in the forefront of, of what the idea of Moss became, um, was those two elements was, you know, reaching in, interacting, um, but also something that, that feels very comfortable. We, we weren't ready to tackle the, the, um, the design challenge of, of like navigating through the world in first person. That's just something that we were, we were going to let a, a few other <laughs> studios try to try to solve that problem first. Um, but those, I would say that, that right there is the, the form, the blue, the blueprint that created the structure of what Moss became. It, it almost feels at times like we're playing with toys or toys that have come to life like is it, when you guys are building these levels are do you do you work with physical objects at all do you do you think things through in that way cuz i I've, I've just i'm really impressed by how you've built these spaces and it's not just that they have you know an interesting logic to them uh the way you want from say a platform puzzler but there's there's a real vibe of oh i'm i'm looking in on this world and and it it feels it's got a reality of its own. Yeah, I, I actually believe we we had to do that. Um, there were a few things that that just naturally happened as we were making 
you know, making different types of, you know, aspects of the game and having just people come to our really small studio early on and, and play test. And, you know, if someone wasn't reaching in and interacting with something, that meant the, the interactive design of it, the inherent affordance wasn't there to make um, someone experiencing what we we're making um, interact with it. And so, you know, if we put a brick in front of you and, and, and no one's even thinking to reach out and, and pull it or, or pick it up, um, then we're not doing our job. You know, we need to add a handle there or something, something that looks like you can actually reach in and grab. Um, and then you brought up, you brought up toys. Um, like we could have gone in that direction with, with Quill, um, but we, there was also something that, that happened that not only was the physical interaction of the world really novel, um, we were also getting these emotional responses with these different characters mm. that we were creating. Um, people just want to be around Quill. And they want to they want to reach in and they want to hold her and protect her, and that is something that that we discovered. Like we, the thing you're talking about, like reaching in and playing with toys, is, is something we wanted to capture early on. Um, but when we started bringing Quill and Moss to larger conventions like E3, um, we saw a shift in the way that players were interacting with our games, and it was this this interaction of like this raw, raw emotional uh, feeling that, that we were getting from, from players. And that changed everything for us. In, in what way? What, what, what were the reactions? Like I know some of what I'm feeling when like, when she misses a jump or it's my fault, she misses a jump and then she like falls in somewhere and I can't get mm -hmm. her out. Like I, I know what's going on with me, but what were you seeing? What were you seeing with the players? So that, I mean, that feeds into sort of the, like the, the minute <laughs> people start like yelling at Quill, <laughs> for, <laughs> after, like, why did you do that? Um, or, or, or yeah, feeling very guilty when, when Quill drowns, it's like, it's all you, you know, like, like you, you are essentially two players in our game. It's, it's, we call it self co-op where you guys <laughs> the joystick, but you're also, you know, it's an entity, you're an entity that, that Quill looks up to and you're supposed to protect her. And as far as examples of um, those types of emotions, we had, man, like we had people come in and play test our game, but there were a lot of them were like friends and family. So they knew kind of what we were working on. But, you know, this is E3. VR was was fairly new. Um, and, and these are all. Yeah, I want to mention that these are all reviewers and, and, and um, media from like really large outlets that do this all the time. They've been they've been writing game articles for decades oh yeah we're jaded we're, we're all of us <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> literally literally seen almost every iteration of a game they've, they've seen everything and so they they came into our booth they put on the headset they met quill for the first time and man a handful of them just cried mm. um and i you know you you think it's like okay is, is this you know what what's happening here because <laughs> we're, we're like okay i hope they're still having a good time but um, and, and, you know, and, and a lot, some of them were also, you know, people who play military shooters all the time, you know, and, and it, it was, it wasn't the, the demographic that you would expect would, would put on the headset and just be overjoyed with meeting this, this small creature that we created. Um, and that's sort of, that was sort of a light bulb for us. And, and we, we brought all that information back to the studio and, um, you know, we, Rick Lico, one of our, our, you know, our highly talented animator, um, he he saw that and just doubled down on it. Like everything he was doing was like, okay, how how can we get you know the player to 
interact with Quill more and, and want to just not, not only just play a character in a video game, but have like, you know, an emotional somewhat bond and relationship with this character. What did you find yourselves sort of doing to foster that relationship? Was it a matter of the situations you were putting her in, uh, the affordances you were making for the, the reader, uh, the animations is, is a little bit of everything. Yeah, a little bit of everything. I would say the biggest one was we we edit we changed the story up. Mm. Um, we 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 added more of those emotional beats. I mean, we we knew like you put on the you put on a VR headset, you know when something is terrifying. We know you know when you know a place feels good. Like and, and we knew how to like do that with the environment. Um, we also you know we ourselves while making it, we're like yeah we. We just love Quill. <laughs> we made a character that we were just, and and we changed the design um, multiple times because it wasn't, it just wasn't resonating with us. We're like, okay, this is a generic hero mouse. We wanted it to be uh, a character that you wanted to like surround yourself with and be around. Um, and so we added more of those emotional beats that sort of tested your friendship, mm. um, which is such a, a, a weird thing to start thinking about. Um, it's like, how can we... You know, how can we make Quill miss you? How can we make Quill love you? You know, how, you know, what can we do to make you, you know, miss and love her? And, you know, like, are, are there certain things we can do? Like when, you know, when we, we looked at our own lives and, and I have, I have a dog that, you know, looks at me when it needs something. It doesn't like bark at me. It doesn't like tell me what it wants. It just stares at me until I can decipher what it wants. And, um, it's, it's, and I, I love that. I love that about our relationship. Um, and, and then, you know, we also introduced um, sign language because we, we knew Quill wasn't going to, like, talk to you. Mm. Um, we tested at giving a voice to her, and that seemed to, like, want us to, like, it made her seem very capable, like, almost like she didn't need us, you know? Because um, she is a confident, she's a confident woman, you know, and she, she can do a lot of things on her own. It's just she does need you because of your size and, and your knowledge about the world. Um, and... Yeah, it's 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 all those decisions poured into that that relationship and that bond. Um, and so, yeah, I would say the story is the big one, and then and then yeah, you know, making sure that we put Quill in the right situations to to really maximize those those story beats. The, there's like about like I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago, there was like this little little uh, renaissance in like small forest creatures doing mythological stories. Like I think of mouse guard, uh, that, that comic sort of like was one of the things that launched a little Renaissance in that genre. Mm -hmm. What were some of the inspirations, uh, for, for doing this particular type of story of, you know, quasi anthropomorphic characters? Cause they're, 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 they've got some human traits, but they're very mousy, the mice. Uh, so what, uh, why'd you guys wind up in this particular genre of fantasy? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I can go back a little bit to the, the emotional connection you get in VR um, scale mm. is, is really important to connect with the world and the characters. So we, we wanted to put you in, you know, a world where you are human scale. All the plants are, are the correct size. Um, all the characters are the correct size. If we, if we did make Quill, you know, if you were a giant and we made Quill human size and, and Quill was a human, um, I think it would be, you know, it'd be cool. Like you'd have this power fantasy of like, I'm a giant, I'm Godzilla, 
Um, but we would lose a lot of the like small scale, like I'm, I'm here, I want to take in the world, this feels comfortable. Um, that would probably turn into a, you know, a massive action game with explosions. And that wasn't really what we wanted to make. Um, and then back a little bit to the design of Quill, you know, I, I mentioned that we made a few iterations that just we did not connect with. She had a more human skeleton and um, she looked heroic. And, you know, it wasn't until we put her on like a real mouse skeleton like her. If you if you put her on her, her force, she is a mouse like she has a mouse skeleton and muscle structure. Um, her arms are just slightly larger so she can like swing a sword without like hitting her face and like be able to climb up on ledges. But, and then other than also her ears, because she is so small that we needed ways for you to see her emote. Mm. Um, and the ears, the, the reason they're so large is just so you can see that she's excited, sad, um, scared um, from, from, you know, a, a middle to, to far distance. Um and so those are all the reasons, some of the reasons why, like we just, the best thing to connect to the world is to give you something familiar. And we've all seen mice in our lives. And, you know, um, we, we just wanted to make sure that, that, you know, she was, she had these indications that hopefully would, would grab you and make you want to like hang out and, and protect her. Um, as far as inspiration goes, um, like I said, yeah, we pulled from the real world, but we what we really wanted to make was just this like really simple hero's tale. And so I would say it's it's less mouse guard, more hobbit mm. that we that we pulled from, you know, the classics, classic fairy tales, um, all the way down to like the art style. We we just wanted to make sure that um, you know, we were pulling from from things that got us excited. We a lot of us came from Bungie or other like action game studios and all of us, I think, were just hungry to make something that was, um, you know, more mellow and just calm and just made us feel good. You know, it's like it was sort of our dream project that, that we got to, to finally do because it was ours and we, we, could, we got to do whatever we wanted. And we, you know, a lot of the people that joined up and, and wanted to work at Polyarch were the same type of people. There were a lot of dreamers. Um, and so... Yeah, we, we were just all really excited to make something that we, we think, you know, if if you're a parent or something, you, you wouldn't mind showing your kid and you'd be you'd be happy to to share this. And and hopefully, you know, some of those influences shine through, you know, hopefully if you're a fan of um, Tolkien, you can play this and just be like, wow, yeah, this was like a really awesome experience and something I, I really enjoyed. The game was enough of a hit that you guys get to do the sequel. And I'm wondering, what did you learn from the reaction to the first game that influenced the second? And and was there maybe even something that you wish you knew going into making the first game that that, that process taught you and you were able to carry through into into book two? That that last question is interesting. It's um mm. how how would we do it differently? And I I, I think I don't know if I would do much differently. Um, you know, I, it took us a little while to discover the magic and, and, and what we wanted to make, like, you know, a lot of trial and error and you wish you could just do that forever. Like you want to test all your, um, all your thoughts and, and you just can't, you can't do it forever. You got to release the game eventually. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I would say, I just, I, I wish we didn't have to do that so much. It w- making, making Moss the first game was hard. You know, we, we, we put a lot of time and effort and everyone poured their whole heart and soul into it. 
Um, but at the end of the day, as far as like the game design and, and what we made, um, I'm the w- the way people reacted to it and the scores, I, I couldn't have hoped for anything better. Um, as far as like what we what we took from that and learned, um, I think there's two camps. One is you know what did what did we as a studio want to make, um, and then what did what what were players asking for? And players asked for you know they wanted a longer experience, they wanted more types of combat ex- engagement. They wanted um, you know they just wanted more, and you can hey, take that two ways. <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, you're like, okay, cool. They they loved it em- enough to like to want more of it. Um, but we, you know, we we heard that, and I would say that the number one thing was we from the fans we needed to make a bigger, longer, more intricate experience. Mm. And then, as far as our studio and personal goals, um, we we really wanted we didn't want the story to be the hero like the classic heroes tale anymore. Um, we wanted it to be more about you and your friendship and, 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 and as you know, I mentioned testing the friendship and a lot of the story beats are that it's like, mm. what happens when, you know, without, without giving away too much of, of what, what happened, cause I, I'm hoping a lot of people, you know, end up playing it and I, I don't want to spoil it for them. Um, but like what happens when, you know, you lose Quill for, you know, a little bit, like, like, you know, what, what do you do? You know, what, what if Quill gets mad at you? You know, what if, what if she's scared of you, you know, maybe you're too powerful, you know, like, like you could, you could imagine putting yourself in quill shoes and this massive glowing being shows up and it's like, I want to help you. You'd be a little bit skeptical, right? Um, You'd be like, I don't know. Uh, You're, you're massive and a little freaky. Like what, how do I feel about this? And so um, that was, that was a big part. Um, We you know, on top of that, as far as the game design, we just really wanted to test ourselves. Um, you know, this game has more weapons, more puzzle types, more enemies. We have um, a few boss fights, um, all things, you know, we just, we wanted to tackle. We knew they were going to be really hard. Um, and so, you know, we, as a studio and as, as a group of, you know, I, I think we have the most talented crew Um and, and of course, none of them are going to just be like, I'm happy with making Moss one again. You know, it's it's going to be difficult again. I think it's probably going to be difficult every time because of the way we test ourselves. You've released two major games on the VR platforms now, and and VR continues to be a, you know, growing platform. I think we had a, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the headsets had a really good Christmas last year. Are you bullish on on the future, like beyond this point even of, of VR? Do you do you see Polyarchus being in this realm for for the long haul and and dreaming up you know other scenarios to 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 play with inside virtual reality? That's a that's a good question. Um, the the Moss franchise and what we've made um, has definitely given us a lot of opportunity. Um, we're seeing um, we're seen as like the, some of the best of what we do, you know, that, that emotional connection, the action adventure puzzle genre, like small scale, um, a lot of studios look up to what, what we do. Um, and I think character interaction is, is definitely going to be something that we keep doing. Um, a lot of the, the new hires we've had in, in our company are, are basic. It's our, it's in our DNA is, is making interactive characters that, that, you know, um, 
people talk about and want to hang out with and, and, and go on adventures with. Um, as far as staying within VR, I, I think we're just hungry to be at the forefront of emergent technology. Um, we, you know, we, we talk about AR often. Um, we talk about all the, the new technology with VR and, and how everything's getting smaller and easier to, to use and it's all getting less expensive. And it's, it's so exciting that, that we're just trying to be there. Um, yeah, we, we like to say, you know, VR is not in our name. Um, um, and I, I think, I think it's whatever gets us really excited. And right now that that's what is, is, is driving us forward is, is all this new technology and, and yeah, you, you nailed it. Like more people are able to play our games and even our older games. And so we, we don't want to bail on this experience that, that, you know, thousands of people every day are, are finally discovering VR and they're, they're discovering Moss one even, um, daily. And it's, it's pretty inspiring that, that, that game is still selling pretty well and, and, and fans are, are discovering it still. And so hopefully the, the lifespan of that, these games continues to grow as, as, as everyone starts discovering VR. And, um, I wouldn't say we're bullish, but I would say, you know, we, our excitement is, is paramount. Well, I, I gotta say, I think a lot of people are, are going to find the first Moss, uh, as, as Moss 2, hits the quest as people start buzzing about it. I, I know, you know, it's had its release on PSVR, but you know, as this, this market is keeps growing and you know, one of the things that defines not necessarily like a console, but like, you know, like an era of gaming is when people start to find like, what are, what are the games and what you guys have built just balances something that is super familiar in the form of the, the platform puzzler with action and this toy box sandbox VR experience that it, it it feels like an obvious evolution, but you also know as you're sitting there playing with this world, you can see how much work went into it. You can you can feel it in in the little little textures of what's going on. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if if people don't force you guys to keep making some of these yeah. games for for some years to come. So Chris, thank you so much for for joining us on the pod today and um, I indeed wish you guys continued success with the series. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Noah. Um yeah, I really appreciated it. Um yeah, the questions yeah, they made me <laughs> they made me think inward and and uh, yeah, I had to think of like really thoughtful responses. Um no, I had I had a really good time. I'm thinking okay, yeah, like what what is next for VR and what is next for us? And I'm I'm just really excited for all those possibilities. Felix Lajeunesse, who joined us last year to talk about Space Explorers The Infinite, is back to tell us about the latest installment of the Space Explorers series, which you can find on MetaQuest. And uh, there's, there's actually a couple of things going on. So Felix, what's cooking over there at Felix and Paul and your collaboration with NASA? So yeah, there is a lot of things. Um, you mentioned the Infinite. The last time we met, we talked about that project that was filmed on board the space station over two and a half years. Um, and that really was when we started to work intensively with NASA to tell the story of human spaceflight 
through full immersion, through virtual reality. And we're continuing to tell that story with the lunar missions and the Artemis program now. So um, I believe we might have hinted at that the last time we spoke, but now we're deep into production with that. So um, we're beginning to follow the training of astronauts as they prepare for the return of humanity to the moon. Um, we're doing that and there's going to be um, a big event coming up in just a few weeks, which is the launch of Artemis One. So we're also working on a 360 fully immersive live stream of that event uh, that we call Artemis Ascending. So all of these things that we're doing are under the umbrella of Space Explorers. And in parallel to that, we're also preparing to launch the fourth and final episode of the ISS experience. So there's just a lot of things uh, right now going on. Yeah, I think when we drop this, I think the fourth episode, uh, which I believe is called Expand, may have already hit uh, the quest. But I am very interested about the Artemis. So Artemis 1, what's that mission uh, for those who aren't keeping, who, who may be more focused on the telescope right now, uh, since everyone's losing their minds about the James Webb telescope. But the Artemis mission is almost here. And, and what's Artemis 1? So high level, the Artemis program is the program to bring humanity back to the moon, but this time to stay. So the whole vision of the Artemis program from NASA is really to build a foundation for a constant presence of humans in deep space, uh, somewhat similar to what has been going on on the International Space Station for the last 20 years. So if, you know, through the Artemis program and onwards, um, if NASA uh, and the participating astronauts uh, manage to build the infrastructure on the moon for the, the, the constant presence of humans there um, and telecommunication infrastructure and you know, mining infrastructure to be able to extract water eyes from which you can produce you know, life support, oxygen um, and drinkable water, but from which you can also produce some fuel. So that that infrastructure and that human presence can become the foundation to then go to Mars and go deeper into deep space. So that really is the vision of what Artemis wants to accomplish. And it's going to be divided on a few missions, Artemis 1, 2, 3, 4, and beyond. But the first one, Artemis 1, is really a test mission. So it's about sending the spacecraft, which is two things. Um, the spacecraft is, is called Orion, and it's on top of a rocket that is called the Space Launch System, the SLS. And so that is stacked at the Kennedy Space Center, and it's going to launch, it's going to orbit the moon and come back to Earth. And once that has demonstrated to be successful, uh, because there's not going to be a crew in this, it's an uncrewed mission. So that's what a, a test flight is. Um, and then after that, once it's successful, um, then Artemis 2 is going to happen. And inside of Artemis 2, you will have a crew of four astronauts. They will orbit the moon, but they will not land. They will come back. And then a year later, you will have Artemis 3, where you will have two crew members actually landing and walking on the moon for the first time since 1972. Oh, my goodness. I'm absorbing that right now. Because I'll be like, I wasn't alive in 72, so... I think that's true for, I think, everyone on this call. <laughs> um, back to the moon. We're going back to the moon. All right. So what with Artemis Ascending, which is the, the event that's coming up, what is that going to be? What are, what are you guys doing with, with NASA this time? Well, it's interesting, you know, like the, 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 this, everything we've done with NASA so far in virtual reality um, we've filmed in space, 
and then we released later in time because we were doing all of that post-production and polishing on the production, you know. So some of the material you see on ISS Experience, for instance, um, or as part of the Infinite, has been filmed sometimes a year or two years ago. Uh, but this time around, be- when you look at an event like Artemis One, which is really a historical event, uh, it's the biggest uh, spacecraft that has ever flown to deep space, you know, launching from Kennedy Space Center. So it's going to be a huge event. And we didn't want to just film it and release that, you know, months later. We wanted people to be able, through virtual reality, to be there in the moment in real time. And so what we started working on is an actual broadcast event, but fully immersive. So think about it as um, a 360 fully immersive multi-camera broadcast, but everything is designed for virtual reality. Uh, It's all filmed and it's happening in real time. So you're going to be there next to the rocket there with astronauts that are going to be commenting on the event, uh, there with a host, there with different personalities that will come and talk about different aspects of this historical event. So you're going to really live the moment as if you were there in real time. And that's really the vision of Artemis Ascending. Um, And we're distributing that uh, many different ways. Uh, So it's a partnership with Meta. So we're distributing that uh, on MetaQuest. Uh, venues um, on Horizon, on Oculus TV. We're also uh, doing a version of that for Facebook 360. And we created a partnership with 100 domes and planetariums in the US and Canada as well to create some live events where people can actually go inside of big domes and watch that uh, live stream in person live. And so I think that we're going to turn that immersive event into a pretty big thing. That's I, that is fantastic. I, I love the idea of like whatever format you want to experience it in, you can go and, and check it out. You've done work that involves, you know, recreating the the sense of going on a spacewalk through through the filmed content. You've you've put together a big installation that allowed people to physically explore the space station in VR. And now you're doing this this live stream with all these moving parts. Uh, what's been the most technically challenging uh, <laughs> of these projects so far? Because this live stream sounds like it's got a lot of moving parts, and also it's it's 360 VR live. That's that's got to be a little nerve wracking. Yeah, uh, look, I think n- none of these projects that you've listed were simple to make, uh, and <laughs> <No>. <laughs> none, none of these projects uh, also were built on you know, just technologies that we're waiting for us to use. Like in every single instance, we had to do a lot of tech development to make these things possible. Um, So it's kind of in our DNA, you know, to try to imagine uh, something that that we really want to see materialized from a storytelling standpoint uh, and then have to look at, okay, well, what's out there in terms of hardware and software technology? Some of those things are there, but a lot of those things are not there. And so you need to develop technology specifically for those productions. So um, for instance, when we did the infinite, um, we had to figure out how to do a tracking system that would work for 150 people at a time inside of an 8,000 square foot space with no problems, you know, with no glitches. Uh, so that was a pretty, a pretty huge endeavor um, for the team. Uh, in the case of Artemis Ascending, which is a 360 live stream, uh, the challenge is we want to do that in 8K. So 8K, uh, you know, 360 VR live, multiple cameras. 
Uh, and so how to build, you know, the, the right, you know, workflow and technological and technical infrastructure to be able to do that in, in a way that is going to be flawless uh, was also uh, a big challenge. Um, I think the beauty is that uh, we're surrounded now with very smart people in these different areas. So uh, problem solving is, uh, you know, is always um, uh, figured out. You know, when we have issues, we always find a path forward, but it's, it's just never simple. We're in this moment that feels like people are getting really excited about space exploration again. It is, you know, the Twitter was all a flutter with the James Webb telescope this week. Artemis one is about to happen. I think a lot of people aren't aware that, that this is going on, but I think it's going to crack through. Are you feeling, uh, you know, a a level of excitement, a level of interest that you haven't seen before? Is, is that cracking through Are the folks that, that you're working with at NASA kind of feeling the electricity? Oh, Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, Look, of course, when you work with people at NASA, they're always excited about 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 everything <laughs> they do, you know, and they, they've never stopped being because they are at the forefront of science and discoveries and innovation. And so they, there's always something to be excited about. But but you're right to say that um, in terms of the general audience, a worldwide audience, you know, uh, it seems like now the interest is is really sparked uh, internationally um, and in a really big way. Um, and, and yeah, I think that they definitely feel that over there, um, you know, from my standpoint, telling the story of human spaceflight through virtual reality and having done that for the past few years, I've seen that momentum building, you know, just with, uh, distributing the infinite and, and then just interacting with people, um, the audience, you know, a lot of people are interested in the commercial spaceflight aspect, you know, SpaceX and, and what has been going on with the commercialization of spaceflight. A lot of people are into that. A lot of people are extremely interested about these extraordinary images that come out of the James Webb Telescope and getting to see our universe in which, you know, we live and getting to see that with clearer pictures, clearer visibility. It just seems like we it, it makes us visualize that there's so much more out there that that our consciousness cannot really comprehend yet and capture yet. So it makes us feel hopeful in a way, you know, that that the human existence and our experience here on earth is not all figured out. There is more to discover. You know, there is still growth ahead. There is still, you know, evolution and expansion of the human imagination ahead. So I think that these images have a really strong impact on, on people. So a lot of people are excited about that. And then Artemis generates a lot of excitement as well, because that's a human story. You know, the, the, the things that makes those missions for so fascinating is that we're not sending robots in space, we're sending human beings that are actually leaving on extraordinarily powerful rockets, which will always be a risky thing. Um, and then they travel into deep space with the Artemis missions. They're going to end up going further than any humans have ever gone before in terms of you know where they will land and in terms of how they will orbit the moon. So it's the furthest flight in the history of humanity. Um, and that is just right around the corner. Uh, landing on the moon with the prospect of establishing a constant human presence there as a foundation to go to Mars. These are things that are fascinating because they involve human beings. Um, and so I, I can feel that excitement for, from all of these different you know, groups of people that I interact with. And I think that from my standpoint, the, 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 the way I conceive of our role inside of that is to 
take people there. You know, to, to, a true virtual reality is the capacity to make people experience these things, not just by watching a picture or, or by watching a TV show, but by actually being there when it happens, experiencing these historical moments with the astronauts, with the crew through virtual reality. That's really what we want to accomplish as part of the Artemis missions uh, in the coming year so that we're moving from a paradigm of, you know, watching these things remotely from your living room to actually being there uh, in the moment. And it's really what we what we want to bring to the table. So I take it the plan is, even though you've got the ISS experience wrapping up in Space Explorers with, with Chapter 4 and you've got this this live event this is not the end of the collaboration you've been doing that there's there's much like the artemis mission there's a road ahead for more from your studio and nasa oh oh yeah absolutely i mean when humans land on the moon we want a worldwide audience to land on the moon with the astronauts in vr Uh, when humans go to mars we want humans everyone on earth to be able to be there through telepresence with the crew on Mars in VR. Um, and so for us, it's it, it has to be done and we want this to be done successfully. Um, and, uh, and and we want that to also be part of a, of a human story, you know, because before the event, there's years of training, there's years of preparation. Uh, and so we wanna be documenting that story as well. And so, yes, I think our relationship with the space world and NASA is gonna continue to develop in the coming years for sure. Uh, at least until we land on Mars. I love it. I love it. Felix, thank you so much. Uh, I'm now super amped about the launch, something that was like barely on my radar. And now I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, And I can't wait to see it all unfolding uh, above my head as I'm standing in my living room. So... (laughs) it's uh cheaper than the trip to florida right now so that's that's worth it um felix thanks so much and uh looking forward to be able to have you back on when uh the next big milestone hits yeah thank you thanks for having me That's episode 351. Uh, A quick one, even though we had two interviews. I know on last week's episode, I mentioned that this episode was going to be Frank Rose talking about the sea we swim in. Just holding on that for one more week because the Space Explorers and Moss dropped this week. So, you know, going for the timely thing, as as you do sometimes. But we'll have Frank on next episode. Uh, may pair that with something else as well. But Frank and I do talk for about an hour, so it might be all we get. Uh, the review crew will be back in the feed soon enough, in large part because of things like Moss. Uh, I know that... Uh, um, Uh, Patrick and I definitely are playing some VR uh, material together. Uh, I think we're going to go play Demio uh, together. That's that's on my calendar. I got to pick that up Um, because they've added like a two player mode used to be four player mode. And and now there can be two player mode. And, you know, we don't have friends. So Uh, but also walkabouts coming soon. So we'll be have that to talk about. 
some of the team's been doing a bunch of the phone uh, experiences they're on right now because there's our ops and options have changed and Candlehouse is doing an experiment with uh, Linux Mutual and there's something there's something else everyone's been doing this uh, Laura did this uh, so has Leah uh, so there's there's a bunch to talk about on that front and we'll be doing that uh, some of the team has been playing some of the hunt a killer boxes so there's August is gonna have a lot of review crew material so just if, uh, if you enjoy the kind of episodes where we hang out and talk about uh, immersive stuff that's coming a whole lot of that's coming uh, you can tell I am over caffeinated today, <laughs> kind of in a bouncy mood, uh, not entirely sure where that's coming from, uh, but I'm glad it's happening. Jeez, uh, don't knock it, man. Uh, it's exciting to see the activations happen at SDCC. I know it's, it's this tightrope, you know, constantly going back and forth between COVID safety, you know, cause like there's, there's a bunch of the actors we know are down there and Anthony's down there and like other friends of ours, like Rachel Walker are down there, uh, you know, all these folks and I don't want any of them, uh, getting sick. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a friend of mine who went to an event in Vegas and, uh, got, got COVID and wound up in the hospital and, uh, not, not happy about that at all. Um, but, uh, STCC is doing, uh, you know, as good of a job as anyone can do, uh, there are a lot of conventions out there. Uh, there's, you know, uh, specifically, and I'm going to call them out, uh, Read Pop. Read Pop does a lot, you know, uh, Star Wars Celebration they did. And luckily Disney and Lucasfilm were like, oh, hey, mask mandate. But Emerald City Comic Con and the New York Comic Cons, uh, they have been uh, not going for it. And uh, PAX and, you know, uh, maybe uh, Anime Expo, Think about it, y'all. Uh, we're going to be with this for a while. We don't want to stop doing events because they are our lifeblood. Uh, they invigorate us, but uh, we leave a lot of people out if we don't do the bare minimum necessary. All right. That's enough of uh, the COVID rant. You know, I'm just I'm preaching to the choir here. I know I am. Uh, just just consider this. Consider this. Uh, I do appreciate that all of you take it seriously, uh, and you know exactly, uh, how hard all of this has been on us. Um, so there, right there with you, right there with you. And I appreciate it when you make the difficult choice, because I know the pressure is there to just let it all hang out. Okay. Um, golly gee willikers. Uh, I am reading the metaverse, uh, right now. Uh, which just really just exploded like all over the place, uh, which means there was a very, very good campaign by W.W. W. Norton uh, because uh, Matthew was on the Verge, uh, Verge's Decoder podcast. Uh, he was on Voices of ER. Uh, they had a signing in L.A., uh, which like I would have gone to if I know it was happening. Uh, yes, we didn't get, you know, any press heads up on that. I'm, I'm whatever. Uh, but I did pick up a copy at the very Barnes and Noble where they had the signing because that's the only Barnes and Noble that has it right now. And yes, I still go to Barnes and Noble because I like Barnes and Noble. Uh, and so far so good. I'm like a chapter and a half in cause I just got it last night and I think I'm going to blast through it. If you are reading it, um, do hit us up on the discord. Uh, links are in the show notes. Uh, I'd love to put a little impromptu book club together. Let's say the first week in August. Um, we can hang out, trade notes, uh, and talk about uh, the big picture 
picture ideas. Uh, I haven't uh, gotten a chance to listen to Kent's interview with Matthew yet. I'm currently listening to Neelay's over from The Verge. And then I think I will also listen to Kent's um, because uh, I'm sure it's going to go even more into the weeds than he gets with Neelay. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, Matthew does a really good job of like laying out the, the things to unpack. And you know what's funny is like uh, still... I'm not necessarily resonating with everything that's being said, so I'm I'm really eager to kind of get through the whole thing uh, because I think there's some some different points of view that could be brought to bear on our possible hyper connected future. Um, for more of that kind of thing, and I think I mentioned this before, uh, at least in the Twitter feed, check out an interview that was recently done on the Team Human podcast, uh, which is Doug Rushkoff's podcast. And Doug Rushkoff, of course, I mean, I don't want to throw around the phrase my guru, but because uh, we don't actually have a relationship like that. Uh, but I've been following everything Douglas has written since the 90s, and he just has shaped my brain like, uh, like, like very few other thinkers have. So this incredible interview he did with uh, Phil Rosedale, uh, who uh, is the creator of Second Life, and it was all about blockchain and metaverse and Web3, and you know we don't talk a lot about those other two on this show, uh, and I think you know the cycle of the year has probably borne out why we don't talk about that on the other show. Um, but there are some things in the, the visions of the future of the way these technologies work that, um, that could reshape our lives in positive ways. And, and I don't just mean in get rich quick and lose money quick ways, but like actually reshape. And uh, they get into that on the team human uh, episode. So check that out. Just, just type in, Team Human and look for Second Life. I'm, I, I won't put that one in the show notes because <laughs> the show notes are like a mile long. And uh, it's 12.02 and I need to go make those. And I've been talking for 10 minutes. So enough of that. Thank you all. Thank you for putting up with me and uh, keeping us going. Uh, you literally keep a roof over my head. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap this up. The associate producer of the No Persinium podcast is Parker Sella. Music is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. And uh, I'm he at the helm. In case you missed it, I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>